Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to DraftKings Network. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. John Anik and Kenny Florian. I love them. I can't get enough of them. Let's hear that for next. Big job there from Duffy and Frank Mir is hurt now. They're a couple of absolutely self-involved bullshitters. Here are your hosts, John Anik and Kenny Florian. It is always nice when a UFC fan goes back and watches Frank Mir versus Todd Duffy, and then they tell us they think of the Anik and Florian podcast. And how could you not? Great to be with you. Monday, July 3rd, 2023. It is episode 419 of the Anakin Florian Podcast, presented by DraftKings. We are live on the DraftKings Network. We're on the DraftKings YouTube channel. Clips, of course, on the Anakin Florian Podcast YouTube channel. And on the audio side, this podcast is everywhere you normally ingest your shows. Ken Flo, looking dapper, collared shirt. It looks like some sort of uh, football kit of some kind. But, I mean, the beard's coming back a little bit, but it's like oh. the hair's groomed. We got a haircut. We have a collared shirt. Uh, you look like you're dressed for some occasion. <laughs> well, it's your birthday, of course. That's why. I'm I'm dressed up. Happy birthday, oh, Mr. Anik. Um, dude, how how are you feeling? And, and thank you, by the way. This is my uh, Real Madrid uh, kit from many, many years ago. But uh, how are you feeling, kid? Are you feeling I'm doing good? I'm doing all Yeah, I'm 45 years old today. I'm repping my Sean Sheehan, SevereMMA.com, striking and grappling and aggression and control t-shirt today. Yeah, 45th birthday today. I was born at 4.07 a.m. on this day in 1978. And uh, yeah, I feel okay. You know, uh, my twin brother and I obviously have the same birthday, one womb, you know, one placenta, all that stuff. And we have noticed that there's a lot of white coming in on this side of the face and the beard as we get uh, halfway between 40 and 50. But we have got a ton to get to today. So enough about all that. I am happy to report that I am back at my home. I got AT&T fiber optic. 
I got the best upload speed in the goddamn neighborhood. I have a fiber optic cable that just got buried to the right of my house right here. And right now, we have new Anakin Florian podcast signage being put on the wall in the home studio upstairs. Stands to reason later this week, our second episode of the week, will be live from the new home studio. But a lot to get to today. We'll start our preview, of course, of UFC 290 coming up this weekend. A lot of things to get to. We have the UFC Hall of Fame induction ceremony coming up on Thursday. We have a UFC fight night to recap, a PFL controversy to discuss. But I do want to open the show with an announcement for our listeners and our viewers. Drum roll, please. Kenny Florian wheels up to Las Vegas on Thursday. He's meeting me in the fight capital, and we are going to do a live broadcast of the Anakin Florian podcast this Friday on the UFC Fight Pass stage from the artist formerly known as the UFC Fan Expo, now UFC X. Very excited to see you in person and to have an hour with you live in front of all these great UFC fans coming up this Friday, the 7th of July. I can't wait, dude. I'm looking forward to it. Um, first of all, we've never done an Anakin Florian live podcast. So this is huge. I hope people uh, who watch the podcast, especially and, and new fans, of course, we would definitely want those um, are, are able to come out and and uh, and have a listen. And, and it'd be great to meet all the great fans uh, out there in Vegas. And uh, it, it's exciting stuff, man. We've been on that stage together a couple times prior, but we were doing Q&As as broadcast partners. We weren't doing the Anakin Florian podcast. The first episode we ever did of this show in TJ DeSantis's studio in Southern California was live April 9th, 2015. But live in front of an audience is something that we've never done. We've talked about doing a show, of course, at a bar, and we are hoping to get to England, and uh, we've started to lay the foundation for doing something like that. And I hope I'm not stepping out of turn here, but I do believe Remember the Show with Bilal Muhammad and Jason Anik is going to be on location at some point during International Fight Week. But we're very excited to be there. And also of note, we are counter-programming my broadcast partner, Daniel Cormier, right? So 1 to 2 p.m. on Friday, July 7th, on the main stage at UFCX will be DC and my beloved friend, Emmy Award winner, Ryan Clark. So DC and RC are going to be on the main stage 1 to 2 Friday, July 7th. We'll be on the UFC Fight Pass stage. Make your selection at any time, but come over to our booth. We want to have the bigger crowd. We're <laughs> counter-programming DC and RC coming up this Friday. All right, a lot to get to. Big week, weekend for Sean Strickland. We'll get into all of that. Really a great UFC fight night from the Apex. So much to unpack on all of that. But, you know, some of our listeners bemoan the fact that a week ago during our busy recap show, we did not address this PFL controversy. And that was uh, not intentional. I actually came on the air and had no idea that it even existed. So for those, Kenny that don't know about everything that's going on with the yeah. PFL show from a couple of weeks ago. There was a fight between teammates, Haush Manfio and Natan Schultz. They're very close. They arrived in each other's bracket in the tournament. And as such, a fight played out that, to my understanding, was more of a sparring session than an actual competition. And uh, a controversy now involving Shane Burgos has reared its ugly head. And uh, as its lead analyst, I guess you're kind of in the middle of all of this. Yeah, for sure. And, and I'd love to uh, thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk about it. You know, yeah, so we had two teammates. And not only were they two, tame, two, uh, two teammates at American Top Team, these guys are best friends. They're literally godfathers to each other's kids, right? Uh, at one point when Natan Schultz um, had won the PFL championship, he was supporting Haush Manfio, who was like, he, I, I forget exactly what he was doing. I think he was working at a hospital, trying to make ends meet, you know, really wasn't making any money as a fighter. So these guys are 
like brothers, basically, right? And a decision was made at some point to have these guys fight. And candidly, I'm not sure I love that idea of, of these guys fighting um, at that stage of the game. Maybe later for a million dollars, that would be ideal. And these guys knew that this was a possibility. Way back when, a couple of years ago, when I first started being becoming a part of the PFL, there was talk about that. Like, hey, you guys might fight each other. What are you guys going to do if this happens? And they always said, man, I hope hopefully it's for the million dollars, yada, yada, yada. You know, and that was something, of course, that they kind of dreaded, right? Um, it happened. They were They were paired up in this fight. And basically, it was... It really wasn't even a sparring session. Like it, it was less than a sparring session. It was like if you were sparring with little gloves and you definitely didn't want to hurt the other guy, that's what was going down. Now, I, you can understand that. These guys are extremely close. The problem is it's in a professional athletic setting. And I think that um, you know when you have something like uh, an organization that is trying to put on fights for entertainment purposes – the fans want to see an actual fight. And in their contract, in the PFL contract, um, they are supposed to give give it their all. Um, obviously, there's a lot of other reasons for that. One of them, which is people gamble on the sport, right? People are trying to pick winners. And if you have some kind of either an agreement or fighters that aren't giving um, potentially 100%, you could get into some issues and I understand both sides of it. This is not easy. Um, but on the PFL side, I'm sure they saw the fact that, Hey, you didn't uphold that end of the contract. You're supposed to give it your all. You're supposed to actually go out there and fight. It was clear to anyone who was watching that fight that they weren't really fighting. And, um, I, I think that's where the problem lies. Now the PFL decided to say, okay, well, Natan Schult, you ended up beating Haush Manfio here, but because you didn't give it your all, because you didn't uphold your end of the contract, we're taking you out of the tournament. You are not going to advance, and we're going to put in the next guy who had the most amount of points after Natan Schult, which ended up being Shane Burgos. Um, now, the prize signing, right? Exactly. That, that right. was the big signing, right? Came over from the UFC. There was, you know, obviously Shane is is a star in the mixed martial arts world. Um, lost to Olivier Aubin Marcier in the first uh, fight of the season. Made zero points. Ended up winning his fight uh, against uh, Nishikawa, Yamato Nishikawa, earning three points. Um, and, you know, people are saying, well, this was clearly because they wanted Shane Burgos in the tournament. Well, no, he lost. I mean, that that's what happened. And I think that no matter what, it, it wasn't like they picked Shane Burgos out of a hat and go, oh, we're going to put right. Shane Burgos in there. He was the next guy with the most amount of points. Um, and that's kind of what, how he got into the tournament. Um, it's tough. This is a really tough situation for everyone involved. I feel really bad for Haush and Natan that had to fight each other. This was, uh, I'm sure, a very difficult decision for the PFL as well. But I think at the end of the day, you know, the, the fighters knew what they were getting into and, and they kind of were playing with that um, very fine line of, of competition and, and, and the legality of their contracts. And it's it's a crappy situation all the way around. Burgos is in the tournament now. And, and that's where all this controversy lied. You know, was this this was this a big conspiracy by the PFL to put Shane Burgos in there? No, I don't no, believe right, that. that's silly. Right. I think that like. These things kind of happen, and if there was someone else with more points, that person would have advanced. And I think that 
at a certain point, the organization needs to put some kind of or need, they felt they needed to put some kind of penalty on people who may do that in the future. Because if you don't penalize someone like that who did that, then other fighters are going to go, well, we did the same thing and now you're, you're, you're putting it on us. So there needs to be some kind of um, punishment, I think, to, to let other people know this isn't going to be acceptable. We can't have this in a professional yeah. setting where people are betting on the sport. Yeah, and the PFL, and thank you for setting that up, and you did so beautifully. And I have so many questions. It's very rare I get to lean into an MMA controversy, right, because this has nothing to do with the UFC. But right. the PFL did release a statement and articulated it was very clear that Natan and Haush did not meet the contractual standard in that bout. PFL immediately suspended both fighters from the season and have deemed the fight to have zero points for purposes of league standings. And as such, Burgos was the next in line. And I do wonder internally how American Top Team thought about navigating that. Forgive my ignorance. And I know my guy Clay Collins in the tournament as well. Was there a way to have avoided this matchup? Yeah. I mean, basically, you know, these fights get get picked they get matched up against each other and you know th that's kind of where i'm not sure i would have gone with that you know matchup um you know if, if guys are going to actually fight in my opinion it would have been probably a better fight for a million dollars than it would have um in in the lead up you know where you're trying to accumulate points during the regular season i don't know that though and perhaps the pfl in their mind they said well maybe we want to avoid this situation um, you know, that could potentially happen. This happened, you know, it was another, there was another terrible fight way back in the day. I was not a part of the PFL at the time. Um, Linz, uh, Philippe Linz, Felipe Linz, uh, yeah. Felipe Linz, who was, a, a, a you know, now I don't know if he's still in the UFC or not, but he was a part of the PFL and he had another matchup with someone, uh, that he was teammates with. And it, it was, it did not look good. It was one of those where like, did, did someone throw a fight or someone kind of, so uh, again, I think the PFL wanted to avoid that altogether, but here we are two teammates getting uh, paired up. I think the biggest thing in the future, I think that for any organization, uh, especially in a situation like this, where people are trying to advance into the playoffs, there's a lot of money on the line. I, I don't think you should have two fighters from the same team in the same division in the PFL. I, I think that's one of those things that you kind of have to just take out just to avoid any issues in the future. And I think they were able to, to you know, I don't know. I, I just think that um, with something like that, I think that's the easiest way to do it. Just don't have two fighters uh, in the same division who are from the same team, let alone, you know, best friends. Right. And that's the rub. Best friends, godfathers to each other's respective children. Right. Yeah. We had a fight recently in the UFC, Loic Rajabov, who, you know, against Esteban Ribovics. And one of them was like, yeah, we trained together. And the other was like, yeah, we're not really teammates. Right. So there's obviously a huge spectrum when it comes to teammates. But in this instance, these guys thick as thieves. There's absolutely no reason that they should be competing. Yeah. And. At John underscore Anik, if you were someone who bet on this fight on either side or if you happen to bet over two and a half rounds, right? I, I so wonder about the preamble leading up to this fight and if there was any sort of groundswell of communication from the MMA handicappers and the Sharps who are regularly betting on this sport, right? I was so embedded in that UFC show in Jacksonville that I wasn't even paying attention, but I'm curious if, if Natan was indeed favored. And when you do talk about that, Light at the end of the tunnel, right? That pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, the million dollars at the end of the tournament. I think this gets particularly sticky when it comes to this being a round en route to the seven-figure payday. I'm yeah. not sure if there was a gentleman's agreement between the two athletes that 
between the two athletes as to one guy was going to win. Like, did they have a plan as to which guy was actually going to win? Right. Well, that's what we don't know. That's what we don't know. And the way that they fought is suspicious of potentially going that way. And I think that's where the PFL needed to step in. This isn't some, you know, big thing to try to get Shane Burgos to advance. If they went out there and fought and it was fine, Natan Schalt would have advanced. Like, Natan Schalt is a two-time PFL world champion. They, you know, they would have been perfectly fine with having Natan Schultz advance. The big issue is with the way that they competed. You know, I saw some of the things that Luke Thomas put out there, some of the things yeah. that Luke Thomas put out there and some other people, you know, th- this, it isn't going like that. It isn't like, oh, we're going to remove this guy because we want this guy to advance. Like, I don't know. I, I don't think it makes a huge difference with Shane Burgos in there or not uh, from a ratings perspective or trying to get him to be a world champion. That division is stacked. Like, there's some really tough guys. He already lost to Olivier Aubameyang. So, anyways, um, I think the big the big issue also, the other thing we have to put into context, imagine being on the other side of the bracket and having an absolute war right. and maybe having injuries and going – these guys didn't even take a heavy leg kick. They didn't take right. any shots to the head. And I have to advance with my injuries and bruises. And these guys, you know, Natan Schultz can advance and he didn't take any big shots. Yeah. You know, and so I, I could see the other fighters perspective who are competing in this tournament to say, hey, that's not fair. So, again, you know. People need to look at the big picture. Like so many things, things are nuanced. And, you know, for a guy like Luke Thomas, who I I definitely respect, smart guy, you know, been around the sport for a long time, to just pick on that angle and go, this is the reason, this is the situation, and I'm not seeing it from all the perspective. Like, no, give the whole thing. You have to look at the big picture and not just look at this and go, oh, this was clearly, you know, the organization trying to put a guy uh, at the forefront. So anyways. Yeah, I think a lot of Luke's message was that this wasn't, fighter first of the PFL. And I'm not sure that that is wholly true. Uh, So at some point during the broadcast, you're saying like, these aren't even real punches. I just have to ask you for my own personal curiosity. And it's my birthday. So I'm going to ask, right? How hard is it to commentate a fight? Like at one point you're realizing maybe what's going on acutely and you're having to call this fight. Like that's an interesting navigation, I would think. It was very difficult, John. You know, you're seeing these guys, they're going out there and competing, and you're like, okay, are, are, are they making it a grappling fight? Or is he just trying to be nice? Is he, is he doing enough to get a certain reaction out of Haush Manifield without hurting him? And, you know, you're seeing the kind of uh, responses and strikes. Like, Haush at one point would throw a strike a little bit harder than Natan Schultz. Like, Natan Schultz was clearly holding back. He was being a very nice guy. He was being a true gentleman to his best friend there. Uh, and Haush was being nice too. Like Haush can hit very hard, but he really wasn't trying to knock out or hurt Natan Schultz. He was trying to get a reaction and trying to get out of these very difficult grappling situations or positions, but they weren't really going at it. I, I, again, I, for us, we were all just kind of very confused and waiting for something to happen. Like, is 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 the action going to kick up at a certain point or or you know so it was just very confusing and it was difficult to manage but i think we tried to do our best to be as uh, as honest as possible and by us i mean myself Sean O'Connell uh, and Randy Couture yeah. so it was um it was tough it was tough because you do want to let the fans know that you're seeing the same thing that they are and, yeah. and you're as confused as they are see Randy Couture celebrated his 60th birthday recently yeah dude 60. The, the, the man's a legend. He, he doesn't age. 
He does not age. All you PFL commentators, with the exception of that play-by-play guy, look like you're 18 with this. I'm just kidding, Sean O.C. I love you, buddy. Just kidding, Shawnee. All right, let us get into uh, UFC Fight Night, Strickland versus Magomedov, if we could. So, Sean Strickland by TKO at 420 of round two. Thankfully, that eye poke in round one did not become the note on which this main event ended. And... A lot of people are calling this Sean Strickland's best performance. I, I do love the way he works defensively and offensively off of that jab. And uh, comfortable in a fight doesn't even begin to describe it. I mean, the UFC Apex obviously is Sean Strickland's home. He's competed in a lot of big fights there. I do look forward to him competing in front of fans uh, who can really enjoy everything that he brings to the table. But before we get into the whole body of work and how promotionally this man has stepped up, uh, this was a guy at Abu Magomedov who a lot of people were putting on a pedestal finisher, got this main event, and uh, I'm not sure if this is a case of levels to this game, but Sean Strickland holding serve as a near 2-1 to one favorite and at the very least preserving him, his spot there in that middleweight top seven. Yeah, you know, there's a lot to talk about, even though it was a short fight. I think that you know the, the eye poke was unfortunate, and it was a bad one. It, it could have been very, very bad. I'm glad that Sean was able to tough it out and compete. If there was one guy who was going to be able to do it, it was Sean Strickland, uh, just as tough as nails. Um, I, I do think that you know he was struggling with the overall uh, kicking game of Magomedov. Magomedov was doing a great job of attacking the body, attacking the legs, keeping him at bay, and Sean was kind of waiting for that those long range attacks to subside. Uh, and also, I think he was still feeling the effects of that eye gouge at the end of round one. But to me, this was a lack of discipline, a lack of patience and composure by Magomedov that allowed an absolute assassin and killer in Sean Strickland to get in and take that take that purse. Like he was allowed, he allowed him uh, to get back into the game. Why? Because he did not pace himself. Magomedov was so fixated on trying to get that finish. Why? Because he was actually successful against Sean Strickland, but he forgot that Strickland does not go away easily. He's like herpes. He will come back and reveal himself over and over again. (laughs) Uh, And um, Strickland just, you know, went into juggernaut mode started chasing him down, and in classic Sean Strickland uh, fashion in round two, just took over. Uh, He was uh, much more defensively sound. I think Magomedov stopped throwing kicks because they were very energy intensive, or it seemed that way anyway. Uh, And once Sean Strickland found that Magomedov was losing that steam, he took over and just overwhelmed him with pace, pressure, took over that space in front of Magomedov and Magomedov mentally, physically, spiritually could not handle Sean Strickland in front of him with all that pacing. And um, I, I thought this was a, a great performance from from Strickland to show how durable he is. We knew that. Um, and uh, also his ability to adjust in a fight I thought was impressive. Almost as impressive as the way you sort of laid that out. I really don't have much more in my notes nor much to add, but Magomedov just gassed, right? Like, The reason why I stopped short of suggesting this was Sean Strickland's best performance is because with respect to Abus Magomedov, he looked like me at the Gettysburg College Tough Man competition, (laughs) right? It's hard for me to remember a main event athlete, a non-heavyweight Kenny, noticeably, visibly looking so amateurish in terms of the gas tank. And you're right. He realized a lot of success in round one. 
Uh, and perhaps his approach was just seven minutes hard. I'm going to finish him or I'm going to get finished. But those visuals were particularly bad, I thought, in round two. Like just even before he ultimately gave up and perhaps I shouldn't put it so strongly. I, I don't know if he quit, but it looked to me like not good body language at all. And even before he kind of gave up, like it was just so wild and uh, undisciplined. I don't know, man. Like I think Sean Strickland has earned a title fight. But the only thing that gives me pause was just that uh, the B side in this, the blue corner, uh, only showed up for seven minutes. I, I couldn't agree more. And I think that this is when I'm looking at this fight. I go, skill-wise, Magomedov is a problem. He could he could potentially beat Strickland because he's highly skilled. The problem is he's highly inexperienced as far as UFC experience. He's out in Germany training a no offense germany but your mixed martial arts um you know experience gyms all that stuff isn't at the quality of let's say brazil united states right and and um i i think that uh, not having that high level fight experience not fighting under the bright lights of the ufc it absolutely matters and it doesn't matter what you do at a period of a round. It doesn't matter what you do in a round. You have to be able to sustain that at a high level for three rounds or five rounds if you want to be of a elite UFC caliber. And he showed that he didn't have that ability to pace himself or understand that he has Sean Strickland in front of him. This isn't just some other dude out of Europe. Uh, this is a guy who knows how to stick around, and he's going to come back and bite you in the ass if you allow him to. So he just didn't manage uh, his energy, his work rate, got a little too excited there, and and um, it, it failed him. So hopefully he's able to learn from this because he is a very highly skilled fighter, um, just needs to know how to put it together and get the conditioning and composure to be able to fight and beat guys like Sean Strickland long-term. So I know you were expectant that I was going to ask you today if Sean Strickland on the strength of this win and everything else has done enough to earn a championship opportunity. I believe that I can convince you right now that Sean Strickland should get a title fight, even if you expected to give a different answer when you showed up today to do the Anakin Florian podcast. Now, with respect to the future Hall of Famer, Robert Whitaker, who is fighting Drakus Duplessis in about five days. The thought that that fight would either be quick or not violent enough for one of those two gentlemen, either Whitaker or Duplessis, to fight Israel Adesanya in eight or nine weeks, second week in September in Sydney, Australia, sounds very ambitious to me. But let us historically look back at Sean Strickland, right? He had that long winning streak that included a win over Brendan Allen, vaults to number four in the world. And you know what? Yeah, I'll fight the unranked Alex Pineda at UFC 276 when Adesanya fights Jared Cannonier. Sure, because Sean, Ch Sean Strickland will fight anybody, you know? So he gets put to sleep by Alex Pineda, and then he comes back and loses a split decision to Jared Cannonier in a close fight. And now all of a sudden, Sean Strickland's six-fight winning streak is a two-fight losing streak, right? Then he steps up during fight week into a main event against Nasordini Mabob in January, wins that, and now wins another uh, main event against Abus Magomedov. To me, that makes Sean Strickland undeniable. Not only has he stepped up for the promotion, uh, but he can sell a fight meritocracy. I certainly think he checks a lot of boxes. The only knock against, and it's been echoed by Luke Thomas and other people is that if Sean Strickland fought Israel Adesanya a hundred times, you know, maybe Strickland wins a few, but for the most part, people feel like they know how that matchup is going to go. And 
perhaps I get more excited about other matchups in terms of competition, or maybe the betting line would be a little bit tighter. But for me, Ken Flo, with respect to Drakus Duplessis and everybody else, I don't know how you deny Sean Strickland when you couple the body of work with him stepping up and uh, a stoppage win in the main event this weekend. Your thoughts? Yeah, I agree. Listen, I, I think that um, the UFC and the middleweight division in general are in a bit of a bind in that they need competition for Israel Adesanya, who is one of the best fighters to ever compete inside the UFC's octagon. That, that's that's the issue. And I think that from a skill perspective, if I'm being honest, I don't think Strickland has a whole lot to offer someone like Adesanya. Adesanya uh, is an absolute menace. He is so skilled and so good and so long for that division that it's going to be difficult for anybody to go out there and give him a good run. I think Cannoneer, from a skills perspective, is a better matchup. Now, he has more work to do. Um, and so basically, for me, it's between Drickus Duplessis and Sean Strickland. Now, if Drickus goes out there and beats Whitaker, I think that would be extremely impressive. No one just goes out there and beats yeah. Robert Whitaker. However, um, I think Strickland name-wise, um, style-wise, I think it's a better fight for the UFC to put on between Sean Strickland and Israel Adesanya. Um, so I, I think that um, for Drickus, um, I, I think he's a tough dude. He's a grinder. He's going to get in Israel's face. Um, I like that, that that would be, be the case. But from a skills perspective, um, I, I don't think he has much for Israel Adesanya there either. So I think it would be a much better, much more entertaining fight for Sean Strickland. And he really, it, it, he's the only guy left at this stage of the game because of Israel Adesanya's, um, you know, level of competition and what he's done in that division. I think that's that's really the only play at this stage of the game. Drickus would have to go out there and absolutely dominate Robert Whitaker bell to bell and go out there and get a finish for him to change my mind. Um, yeah. You know, not that I'm making fights to the UFC. No, but, yeah. right. No, I like I like how you set that up. I don't know if we've seen Sean Strickland fight Marvin Vittori. My memory escapes me a little bit. I think that matchup mm. piques my interest. But right now, obviously, Vittori is coming off a loss. So that fight doesn't make sense right now. Yeah. I do think a main event or a three round co-main event on pay-per-view between Jared Cannonier and Brendan Allen, as called for by Brendan Allen, makes a shit ton of sense right now. If Cannonier is yep. going to earn a second championship opportunity, I think he's got to beat a guy like Brendan Allen. And I think with respect to Drakus Duplessis and Sean Strickland, Brendan Allen is intriguing because of the danger factor in myriad areas of mixed martial arts. I do believe if Brendan Allen and Israel Adesanya engage in a ground fight, caution flammable for the champion, is he? But I don't think that the promotion sees Brendan Allen as a number one contender type, at least right now. And lastly, I'll say plenty more on Robert Whitaker and Drake is Duplessis later in the week. But Robert Whitaker only losses in the last nine and a half years to Israel Adesanya, right? Stephen Waterboy Thompson got him in 2014, and uh, he has not lost to anyone but Izzy since. All right, star of the show's been in the waiting room for three minutes. He's probably ready to kill me. Let's get to the Ray Longo minute. Tired of snooty wines and their old wine culture? Confused by words like malolactic fermentation? Yeah, we are too. So with 19 Crimes, you can do the fancy-schmancy tilt-sip smell routine, or don't. 19 Crimes is the rebel of wine and culture, telling the stories of rogues and rule breakers who overcame adversities. From convicts banished to Australia, 
to the legendary icon Snoop Dogg himself, 19 Crimes Wine is defiant by nature, bold in character, and always uncompromising. 19 Crimes, the official wine of UFC. Pick up in stores nationwide or online at 19crimes.com. Enjoy responsibly. 2024, Sonoma, California. It's now time for the Ray Longo Minute. I want you to punch a hole in this fucking chest. That's what I want. The Ray Longo Minute. Starring Ray Longo. The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast. Hey. Yeah, they are. Happy 4th of July, there my we guys. Go. How we oh, doing? We're doing well. How are you doing? Uh, yeah. I just need a little more headroom. My yeah, God. Yeah, we need your whole head in there. Oh, shit. I don't know what's that going on. That sounded terrible, by the way. So, I mean, I know you tan oh, well. Jeez, what am I doing? I mean, Cody, Sorry, can guys. we get this guy framed up before <laughs> he comes on next week? Is that too much to ask? You know? I mean, this is Where sir. What are we doing? <laughs> Damn, like, look at you that. got Ray right, four minutes back. ago. What have you guys been doing back there? There we go. I've been. You know what I've been doing? I've been listening to you guys. Beautiful explanation of what's going on in the middleweight division. That's what I've been He's doing. Buttering I've been us enjoying up. myself. He's buttering I've us been up. enjoying myself. Did you fall asleep in the sun? No, definitely Gosh, not. Gosh, why do I look tan? You look great, but yeah, you look oh, tan. Holy shit, this, this hasn't even been any sun. So uh, there are a lot of people, as we bring the great Ray Longo into our conversation on Twitter, he is at Ray Longo MMA. There are a lot of middleweights who have had a crack at Israel Adesanya. Sean Strickland has not had that opportunity. And when you look at the varying spots in which he stepped up for the UFC, either willingly putting his number four ranking online against Alex Pineda or the short notice week of main event against Nasruddini Mavov. Like, if you're looking for someone to fight Izzy on September 8th, you know, maybe Izzy's minus 700, but Strickland checks a lot of boxes, and he's certainly deserving to me. Uh, look, I think he he fits the definition of a company man, like you said. And, you know, even before we get started, man, hats off to Strickland, because it, it's tough enough to wake up on the morning of a fight, just feel great and want to, you know, everything's going good, but... 10 seconds in, you get your eye poked, man. That shit just bothers the shit out of me, man. It, it's right, Kenny. I mean, it's tough enough. I don't care what the little thing is. You might have a little nagging injury in your middle finger or your pinky or something that just could distract you. But to get your eyes poked, man, I, I, I do. I, they got to do something about it. Was, wasn't a casual that, one. Wasn't a casual one either. Oh, was, no, that guy had his, yeah. this guy's hand is out like yeah. this. I mean, I mean, Kenny, you're doing self-defense. That's my first thing. I'm going that you're, you're getting my fingers in your eyes. There's just no question. It would it'd be stupid to do anything. Absolutely. Else. Bruce Lee was big on that. Yeah. I mean, what do you do? It doesn't matter how tough yeah. you are. If you can't see, it's kind of hard to fight. Yeah. Problem. So my hat goes off to him. I think he deserves the shot. We know he's tough enough. Uh, so he's kind of got a predictable game, but he's real good at it. And uh you never know. I mean, it'd definitely be an entertaining fight with shit talking and all the stuff going on. So yeah, I say make it. I think he earned it. Uh, I mean, and another thing is, too, I was thinking about that. Who was the guy he fought? What was his name? This past weekend? Yeah. Abus Magomedov. Yeah. Who's his manager? Do we know? I don't know. We should hire that guy. One fight in the UFC. Ah, and the main and event. Event. No, yeah. I want to know right. who the guy's manager is. Right. This guy yeah. does this guy deserves an award. No? Is it me? <laughs> yeah. No. 
No, I mean, I think that's fair, right? That's quite the ascent. I mean, we can't even get a bazooka in the USC. Never mind. But, you know, <laughs> did you see your guy stepping up, by the way, to try to get that slot against Jack Della Madeline? Who stepped up for that? Dennis Bazooka threw yeah, his no, name in. Of course he did, but no, he didn't get the opportunity. Nah, yeah, right. They gave it to I'm an undefeated guy, uh, some seven and no kid, former LFA guy, I think out of oh. New Jersey, maybe high school wrestler, but yeah. Oh, he he look, he's thrown his name into every one of those. Yeah. I think yeah. the one he wanted was Brito, too, and they took uh the other guy. So I yeah. think that was that was a mistake, but uh So uh so Sean Strickland, we'll see. All I can tell you based upon my knowledge of the Aussies at a fan base, they would be absolutely thrilled to have Sean Strickland descend upon Sydney with everything that he brings <laughs> to the table. Like, be goddamn rock star over there, you know? Get him a rental motorcycle and Sean Strickland will take over. And also, too, and we're going to have picks later in the week, but like, Ken Flo's not going to pick Drakus Duplessis at plus 320 to beat Robert Whitaker, okay? Like, Drakus is a huge underdog, and I can't wait to sit down with him. I think he's a big game player. We'll see what he does with the challenge. But yes, if this dude goes out and does to Robert Whitaker what essentially no one's been able to do, then yeah, the conversation can be reopened. But uh, I don't know. I think it's a lot to ask twofold for Drakus, Ray, right? To beat yes. Robert Whitaker, but to beat him quickly enough or nonviolently enough where you're able to turn around in eight or nine weeks and train and prepare for Adesanya. It's just a lot, I, man. Listen, I, 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 I don't think it could happen, but you know, I, you know, I've been wrong before and this would really surprise me. Well, you know, I speak in superlatives, right? If Drakus Plessy in a span of nine weeks beats Robert Whitaker and Israel Adesanya, the greatest nine-week stretch in the history of the sport. So. Well, I tell you, you should get a tattoo of something of oh. South Africa on you, because know, I think you're pretty <laughs> safe that you don't have to do it. But that, All right. Yeah, we'll do point. it. We'll do the tattoo yeah, do today. Right. We'll do it. So if Drake is Duplessis between now and September 9th, Beats Robert Whitaker and then Israel Adesanya <laughs> become the undisputed UFC middleweight champion. Look at, look at and Kenny careful putting it best in it. Yes, I will get the South Africa flag tattooed somewhere <laughs> on my body. The whole back. I want back piece. Like the whole thing. <laughs> shoulder to shoulder, dude. Yes. Uh, yeah. TBD on location and <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I just think that's huge ask, right? To beat Whitaker yeah, and then to turn around and beat Izzy nine weeks later. John, that's a, more than a huge <laughs> That's more than a huge ask. All right, so a few things I would like to get into, Ray, and I don't know how much you watched of this UFC fight night, but uh, Grant Dawson has Ooh. definitely taken his game to the next level since I love this Grant Dawson package. 12 minutes of control time, and, and this is Demir Ismagulov that he was able to do this to. So your thoughts on on Grant Dawson shining in the co-main event, Raymond? Yeah, it looked, looked absolutely fantastic, Uh I mean, if there's anything I'm thinking, I mean, I'd like to see one more high-level fight. I mean, th th this is a guy that wanted to retire, or I think he did retire. He's probably been thinking about retirement, so I don't know if that plays into it, but 100% a very technical, good striker, and, and Grant Dawson made it look easy, and I think that's 100% the first step in getting to where he wants to go. So he looked great. I love the control time. He did it. You know, he did what he had to do, and and I and I think he he did it, looking really really well. So against a a, a great great talent, so um, I'm excited to see where he's going for sure. Yeah, Kenny, what are your thoughts at Grant Dawson? Not just Saturday, odd Grant Dawson, not just Saturday night, but uh, I would think he'd be problematic for a lot of these guys in that top ten of fifty five. 
You're asking the dummy who picked Isma Gulov over here? <laughs> yeah, uh, man, yeah, I mean, Isma Gulov didn't do a damn thing in that fight. I mean, like, yeah. I mean, he was absolutely dominating. Well, he was retired. Fight. He had retired. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, he, he, he forgot I, to unretire. He forgot <laughs> yeah. to unretire before the yeah, fight. Kenny, uh, I think that's the problem. Even if you picked him, and I think that's not a bad thing. It's just yeah. that you don't know the mindset of these guys. And if you think right. about it, you, you just – Somebody knew what was going on. You know what I mean? They knew if he was in the camp well, the right way, he wasn't, but it didn't look good. And, you know, but I don't want to take away from Grant Dawson either because the guy we've yeah. seen is Magulov go do really well. So, hat, like, again, hats off to him. I'm, I'm sorry for interrupting, but no, I don't thank, think you were wrong for, in picking him. Yeah. Thank you for helping me uh, feel a little better about my stupid yeah. pick. But, uh, you know, Grant, Grant Dawson, uh, you know, I think mindset or not, though, Grant Dawson just had a style that was just something to contend with. Demir never had an answer for the takedowns. He didn't have an answer for the back game. He just didn't know what to do on the ground. Dawson just absolutely overwhelmed him. I thought that Dawson looked like a completely different fighter in that he's way more efficient with his wrestling. He knows how to utilize his striking, get in, get out. When he's in, he's all the way in. He's putting you on your back. He's controlling you immediately. All the little things. You know, we talked about the fundamentals of Ilya Topuria. Well, we got to talk about the fundamentals of his grappling game because he yes. was doing all the little things right and how you finish a takedown, how you control, and how you advance your position and never let that dude really out of there. I thought it was a extremely solid performance from Grant Dawson, who was looking better all the time. Those are the skills that he needed. When I look at Grant Dawson from a couple of years ago to where he is now, he's filling in those gaps. Still needs some work with his striking, right? If he can't get that takedown, he needs to get that up to a higher level. But as far as how he's maximizing his strengths as a fighter, I thought that was really well executed uh, the other night. Yeah, and fight IQ-wise, very, very smart. So, yeah. uh and it looks like he's in a great spot the way he spoke. And he's, you know, sometimes you just need the right fit, you know, and uh, you get the right attention. Look, a little attention goes a long way yeah. to a fighter, right, Kenny? Yeah. It's a, if you're doing it by yourself and then you every so often somebody looks at you. But if somebody's on your ass every yep. day and you're communicating, that's a huge, huge thing. Huge. You yep. know, people, people just want to feel like they, there's people behind their back. You know what I mean? That people have their back and they're, they're with them the whole step of the journey. So it looks like he's got that now. And that, that's why I'm excited for him. Yeah. And no matter who we are, how much we love martial arts, we yeah. all have blind spots. We can't Without see it, it all. Yeah. And we need yeah. other people to come in and tell us, hey, you need to be doing this. You need to be doing that. You're making a mistake here. Make a mis There's so much to mixed martial arts. If you don't have good really people is. around you who really want to see you get better. And if you're not honest about yourself and how you want to get better, you're in big trouble. This sport's way too difficult. Way too difficult. I just love the way Grant Dawson handled everything, just watching from afar, the media before the fight, the post-fight interview afterwards. I'm a sucker for when they put over the coaches like that. And, uh, you know, when he said, like, I'm not a good fighter, right? I'm just a good soldier. Uh, he had me eaten right out of his hands. All right. So when I yeah. look at the lightweight top 15, Raymond, you got your guy there, Matt, the steamroller for bowl at number 14. By the way, it looks like for is going to be on our live show that we do. Uh, we're doing a live show this Friday from UFC X, but you're not going to be in Vegas. Looks like you might be there the week later. <laughs> I am there the week after. That's right. Were you right. not? Ex and that's a trip that maybe you weren't expecting to make. Is that fair to say? Which not? one? The one after? July 15th. Or did you always have somebody on that show? No, I always had somebody on okay. that show. All right. okay. Not Nazim Sadikov. He's looking great. 
very excited for him, but we could talk about that later. But okay. no, no, we've always been there. Okay, so Mataj Gamrot, seven. Armand Sarukian, eight. Rafael Dos Anjos is still there. Jalen Turner, 10. Dan Hooker, 11. Those two guys are fighting this weekend. Hanato Moicano, 13 for Bola, 14. Michael Chandler, five. Um, we'll see, right? It is hard to get, just ask Armand Sarukian. It is hard to get a fighter ranked above you at 155 pounds to sign on the dotted line. Got big names everywhere in there, but Grant Dawson's getting one of those names. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, where is, where is Grant Dawson ranked? Number right 15. Now? So he's right behind Frivola? Yep. yep. Yeah, that, that's we'll a good fight, happens. too. But then one of the names that Grant Dawson mentioned was Benil Daryush. I think that makes a ton of sense, even though one's off a win and one's off a loss. All right, a few other things I'd like to get into on UFC Fight Night, and then I would like to ask you if I could about Henry Cejudo's unceremonious withdrawal from the Cheeto Vera fight in Boston. Let's just get into that right now because, yeah. uh, you know, Aljo called him a dirty little weasel, and I'm not even sure that that's overly strong just based upon some of the things that Henry has done to inject himself into these conversations, right? 100%, yeah. Goes through a five-round championship fight. And I have to be careful, right? Based upon my job. Yeah. But he goes through that 25-minute fight with Aljo in May. And then Aljo essentially gets bullied into turning around quickly to defend his title, for lack of a better verb, right? Strong-armed, if you like that, right? And then Cejudo starts saying, hey, if Aljo can't make the walk, I'll fight O'Malley for an interim or whatever, you know? Then he accepts this Cheeto fight, and it was hard for me to wrap my head around him actually fighting Cheeto on August 19th. And before we can even send the fight card to the masses, he pulls out of the fight. So if I'm the undisputed champion, Al Jermaine Sterling, I'm grabbing a microphone and I'm hot. And that's exactly what the result was from your guy. So what are your thoughts on Cejudo accepting the fight with Cheeto Vera and pulling out essentially 90 hours late? Yeah, it's just more nonsense. MMA nonsense. I don't know. Yeah, like again, a good way to put th- it. You know, if you think of Aljo's position, you know, Dana got up there and said, you know, I got a call. Guess who called? Guess who called? Henry. Henry called. He said, you know, if that pussy doesn't want to fight, I'll take this. This is all fucking bullshit I could do without. I'll be honest with you, John. It's just, it's stupid. Uh, it's almost like second grade name calling, childish shit. Henry, fuck it. Fuck Henry. You know what I mean? Like, that's why Aljo's mad, because he has to sit there and listen to this. Aljo can't get out of his own way. No, Henry can't get out of his own way. Let's grab the mic and 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 and, and, and bl- put him on blast. You know, so what? Anybody could say, you know, I'll fight him. I'll do this. I'll do that. You got to actually do it, though. That's the problem. So I feel I feel for Aljo and I and I back him 100 percent on everything he's saying, because it's if if that never happened with um you know, with uh, Dana saying Aljo can't get out of his own way and Henry called and, you know, I don't know, did uh, Hunter Campbell run over to Dana's house this time and say, you're not going to believe this. Henry Cejudo's out of the fight. <laughs> I don't know, man. It's yeah. just, they got to stop, man, with this shit. You know, and Henry, Henry, look, if if that never happened, Aljo's never saying that. that that's my belief. And, you know, an injury's an injury and you got to respect that. But I don't think he was ever fight if you want to know the truth. Yeah, Kenny, I didn't intend to have some long-form conversation on it, but I don't know, man. The champion, by and large, has done everything the right way. And I don't know, just some of the stuff coming out of that Cejudo camp, I think, leaves a little bit to be desired. And let me be 
crystal clear that this has nothing to do with my relationship with Ray Longo. Oh, I looked no, at the uh, entire bantamweight division, right? And Corey Sandhagen and other guys that go about everything the right way, you know, and even some maybe criticizing May Rob, who all of a sudden decides to have what was a very invasive surgery. I don't know, man. I don't know. I just it didn't sit well with me how it all went down. Kenny, I don't know if you have any thoughts on on Cejudo's withdrawal or any of that. Yeah. So Cejudo is is he's out of the fight for what reason? He's claiming an injury. Okay. A shoulder injury. Okay, that's what I thought. All right. Yeah, it's tough, man, because here we live in this um, world where if you find any weakness as a fighter, you know, some of those guys are are going to try to poke, especially if it's something that the UFC organization has said or, you know, it's like, uh, I don't know. I mean, it, it seems to me that the UFC isn't so keen on having Aljo as their champion. And I think Henry Cejudo is yeah. trying to poke at that and make <laughs> it worse and trying to poke at that wound more and more. And, you know, and here he is now not able to fight. It, it, it's, it's, it's a tough situation, man. I, I hate to see that kind of that level of, of trash talk. The UFC is a much different place than it was when I was fighting. Um, I think, um, and, you know, to see Cejudo now, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's karma, maybe, whatever it is. But um, it, it's unfortunate that uh, he isn't going to go out there and fight after he said he was going to fight. But uh, I, I think Cejudo's a fantastic fighter, man. I think having him as a part of the division, though, is much better than having him not be a part of the division. I agree. And, and that card is so damn stacked, luckily, um, that, you know, I don't think it's going to be a huge dent as far as – you know, viewership or anything like that. I, I love the card regardless. Um, so Boston has a tremendous card. I think people are still going to go nuts over it. It's still going to do great numbers, I think, uh, yeah. numbers-wise, pay-per-view-wise. So I don't know, man. I think the proof is in the pudding. Aljo's going to be there. You know, God bless. I hope, you know, God willing, he's, he stays healthy and all that stuff, and that fight happens. But, um, yeah, interesting. Interesting how it all turned out. Yeah, and and again, for me, as a non-fighter, Ray, to suggest yeah. – that Henry Cejudo accepted the fight knowing he probably wasn't going to be able to make the walk. But as an MMA fan, just watching from afar and how he was handling his recreational time after the Aljo fight, it just seemed ambitious, idealistic, and unrealistic uh, that he was going to fight someone as dangerous as Cheeto Vera here on as short a timeline as Aljo was going to have for O'Malley. It made no sense. I was not at all surprised to see him pull out. Yeah, and again, no, not really disrespect to Henry. I do like Henry, but I think you gotta. I, I don't like. The, I don't like the bullshit talking. I don't, and this is the reason why. Because then, when it backfires, it looks you look like a a complete asshole. Yeah, you know what I mean. But and I don't think he was winning that fight with Cheeto. That was not never going to be an easy fight. Even if he takes him down, Cheeto could open him up with elbows to the head. You know, he's he's pretty good off his back with that stuff. That was not an easy fight. He wasn't going to no. hurt Cheeto standing up by no means. I don't believe. Uh, I, it's just, you know, when I see my guy subjected to unnecessary bullshit, I just get a little wacky, you know what I mean? So, yeah. but, and I, not, not two wrongs make a right, but I, I understand Aljo's frustration and having to sit there. And I think he takes all the criticism as well as anybody can. And he's done it for the last couple of years. And I think it actually gives him strength. So I it think does. Henry pulling out actually is going to give him more strength. In this fight, I think it gives him another purpose. And just like that, Raymond has blacked out. I did have one more question for him, but it's probably a good time to uh, to stop it down with uh, with Raymond Peter Longo. 
Well, UFC 290 is going to be big, ladies and gentlemen. International Fight Week 2023 Championship doubleheader. Will the all-time great Alexander Volkanovsky remain the top dog, or will the interim champ Yaya Rodriguez usher in a new era at featherweight? You can place your bets for UFC 290 right now on DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of UFC. New customers can bet just $5 to get $150 in bonus bets instantly, and everyone can take the action to the next level with DraftKings Same Fight Parlays. All you need to do is string together multiple bets from the same fight for a shot at an even bigger payout. Perhaps you attack that flyweight championship title fight. Brandon Moreno, about a two-to-one favorite. You can bet on the outcome. Props like total strikes landed. In which round will the fight end? The Sportsbook is your oyster. So you download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. You use the code AFPOD. New customers can bet just $5 on UFC 290 to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. Only this Saturday on DraftKings Sportsbook with code AFPOD. Download the DraftKings app now. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in Massachusetts. Call 800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelplinema.org. In New York, 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Tennessee and Kansas, gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort. In West Virginia, gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. All games regulated by the West Virginia Lottery. Please play responsibly in partnership with Hollywood Casino at Charlestown Races. In Connecticut, help is available for problems gambling call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org 21 plus in most eligible states but age varies by jurisdiction see draftkings.com sportsbook for details and state-specific responsible gambling resources bonus bets expire seven days after issuance eligibility and deposit restrictions apply terms at sportsbook.draftkings.com slash mma terms all right, so a few other things that I quickly want to highlight here from UFC Fight Night. By the way, my man Chepe Machine Gun Modescal is coming up here in about five minutes. It looks like we have Longo, so I wouldn't mind actually bringing Longo <laughs> back. Well, I, I at least want to say goodbye. Well, no, let me ask you this. And, yeah, uh, I'm sorry. We have two more minutes. Yeah, so yeah. Kenny got to the UFC when he had just a handful of fights. Yes. This weekend, we had a guy, Nurselton Ruzaboyev. Beat Bruno Fajeda in his UFC debut to kick off the main card. He's won nine consecutive fights. He's six five at middleweight, right? Jeez. He's thirty five eight and two with two no contests, right? So he's got forty seven pro fights. So it took him forty five plus fights to get to the UFC. Wow. And I want to ask you guys in the context of Shane Burgos and other fighters saying, why is it the UFC and nothing for every the UFC or nothing for all these fighters? Right. And here we have a guy, Nurselton, right? If you've seen the movie Frozen, by the way, Weaselton, this guy, he's got to go Nurselton. Forget the last <laughs> name. But all this kid wanted to do, Kenny, was get to the UFC. And so he was asked in his post fight interview about making this UFC debut. This kid has essentially fought multiple times a night, every week, every month for years and years and years for 10 years just to get to the UFC, and then he has a debut like this, gets a performance bonus. I bring it up in the broader context, right, of other promotions trying to sort of close the gap on the UFC, but pretty damn special to have a kid like this, Ray, who has a one-track mind to get to the UFC. He's essentially fighting every week for a decade to get there and then has a moment like he had Saturday night. I'm not sure if you saw it, but it was pretty special. Yeah, I, I saw the where he caught the kick and knocked him out. That was the fight, right? Yeah. I mean, from what I saw, he looked great. As far as the UFC, uh, look, man, people could say whatever they want. There's a reason why people want to be there. I mean, you're going to get the definitely you're going to get the most eyeballs on you. They do a fantastic job with the 
with the behind the scenes stuff. I mean, the transportation from the airports. Yeah, there's there's really honestly nothing to complain about. We 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 sit here because you know we want to make jokes and have conversations about stuff, but they are by far the best organization in, in the, on the planet, and that's why people want to be with them. Uh, you know, conversely with that, I think sometimes the promotion can have certain liberties because <laughs> they kind of know that. So it makes it easy for them, but you, you can't disagree with or be dissatisfied with anything that they do. I'm telling yeah. you from, from picking you up at the airport to taking yeah. you back to the airport, to you guys are so professional on the microphone, everything. The other organizations are good, but I don't feel, I've never felt what I felt with the UFC. And it could be because I'm there 30 years at this point, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it just feels like home to me, but uh, I, I understand why people want to be there. And trust me, I got fighters coming up. And if you even offer them something else, now nah, I want the UFC. I mean, yeah, it's just they do a great job with the marketing. They, they, they just do a really good job. The other organizations are fantastic also, but not they just don't have the dollars that these guys have to, to do those the little things the right way, I believe. Anyway. Yeah, no, I think there's a lot to be said of that. There's a lot of power in those three letters. And even the fighters making 12 and 12 to a man, yeah. to a woman come into the fighter meeting and they're just wowed by the staff and yeah. the entire operation. And Kenny, I would say as a guy who has long worked for the underdog, right? When I was doing radio in Boston, I was on Sporting News Radio Boston and not WEEI. Nobody was listening to my show. I was doing the mouthpiece boxing show. Nobody was listening. Like I have spent a lot of time working for number three or number two, working for the underdog as opposed to the favorite. And, you know, it's kind of nice for me at this stage of my career to work for the favorite. You know, yeah, absolutely. Listen, the, the UFC has been around for so long. And, and why is that important? First of all, experience. They're, they're going to work out all of those problems, issues, mistakes, mishaps that they've had over the years. They're get if you're doing a business properly, you're going to make that better, more seamless, all that stuff. And the UFC has been doing that. The other thing is, you know, being first to market, you know, they were the first guys doing this. So of course they are going to be the biggest. They've been on the biggest networks. They've been promoting it the most. And all of those, all of that money, all of that promotion has paid off now to the point where they are the biggest powerhouse out there. You know, I, I think that there's going to be other options for people. I think there's the perception of, you know, being in the best uh, promotion in the world. Um, and, uh, it, you know, for a lot of fighters coming up, watching the UFC, that's where they want to be, you know, of course. And that's where, you know, the majority of the best fighters in the world are. That's just a fact. Um, you know, the good thing is, though, that there are options, you know, for people who maybe are at a different point in their career coming up in the middle of their career, at the end of their career. There are other options for organizations. So um, I, I think it's a good it's a good time to be a professional mixed martial artist. Right it now. is no question about yeah. it. And I, and and a little disclaimer, I've I've been to the PFL. Those guys treat me like gold. Man, I got some really good friends over there. Everything's good. I've I've had guys fight there, but I've never cornered. So I'm not speaking, you know, sure. directly. I'm just the, the the show I saw you at Kenny at the Garden was absolutely fantastic. The ambiance was good. They're doing a, everybody's doing a great job. They they really are. But the like again, the UFC was first. They have the money behind them, and they really do a good job on some of the little things. So there's other organizations, like even with the COVID policies, got tortured for no reason. Like the UFC just came through beautifully in, in, in areas where, where they hit a couple of bumps, man. They they got down. They did it the right way, and I, I don't know. that That's again, anytime I'm 
complaining, I'm complaining for my fighters as far as organization and people at the UFC. Absolutely. Yeah. Love them. Always will. I always feel like home there. And uh, again, half of this shit is just, you know, to get people to curse you out on the comments and, you know, all of that stuff. So yeah. but, uh, all, all the organs, like Kenny's right. It's just a, a good time if, you know, if you're a, an MMA guy, but they've done that. That's how good of a job they've done is that that's the first thing people say. I want to be the UFC. Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? So it, it, you got to give it a it hats off to them for, yeah, they, they did a great job with branding. I mean, yeah. and it's just the way it is. And, you know, they deserve everything they've, they've got, uh, you know, obviously I'd like to change a couple of things, but yeah. my position, but yeah, that's it. No, I like the way you laid that out. I also work for Bellator, so I, I've spent a lot yeah. of time working Bellator, for Bellator. Scott Coke is a great guy. Yeah, I didn't work for great Scott. Guy. Known, known for years. What a just down-to-earth nice guy. So that, yeah. it's just – it's just a, I'm going with Kenny. It's a good time to be an MMA fighter. And, I was part uh, of the Bjorn Rebney Bellator regime, not Scott Coker. But, yeah, well, uh, that, well, no, that, we have nothing good to say about him. Hey, uh, <laughs> you, know, you know, your mother said if you have nothing nice to say, don't say nothing. Don't say it at all. Hey, uh I'll call you later this week. We appreciate your contributions as awesome, always. man. Yeah, definitely. I got a couple of things to tell you too. So definitely. Cool. All, All right. right. Take it easy guys. Happy 4th of Ray. July. Thank Take you, buddy. Care. Ray Longo minute every week here on the Anakin Florian podcast. I'm going to call him later today and see if I can get him to, uh, to wish me a happy birthday since he, uh, <laughs> he didn't seem to want to on the show. We will circle back to a few other headlines from UFC Fight Night. I know Kenny's going to want to talk about Michael Morales before we bounce on out of here. But now joining us on the guest line. I'm very excited for this today, ladies and gentlemen. Less than two weeks removed from the biggest win of his career. He is UFC featherweight, if I can call him that. Chepe Machine Gun Matascal, my man. Welcome to the Anakin Florian Podcast. I appreciate waking up early for us. Congratulations. Uh, It's good to see you. What has the reaction been to that UFC debut, and, and has your life changed at all since June 24th? Yeah, for sure. Uh, thanks for having me on, for, first of all. And, uh, yeah, man, it's it just everything's kind of uh, a big change. Right after my fight, uh, I had to move apartments uh, right away. So I, I moved in a day. I had to go pick up my son in Philly. I had, like, eight-hour flights. Like, I had no sleep for the first week coming back. Um my phone was blowing up, you know, from friends and, you know, other fighter friends and the family. So it was pretty cool. You know, it, um, it was kind of like uh, if everything laid out in place the right way, you know, I moved into my new place, getting things organized, uh, showing my son a whole new lifestyle. Uh, it was funny because every time uh, we're in the airport waiting for our flights, people kept up uh, kept coming up and taking pictures with me. And my yeah. son was just like. Like, why are they take pictures? I'm like, bro, I'm like, I fight huh. in the UFC, you know, I fight a TV, you know, and he never, he like, I show him videos of me fighting, but he doesn't believe me, you know, he believes my partner is more of a fighter than I am. Right. So I'm like, finally, I showed him like my UFC fight, the whole fight. And he goes like, man, he was like, I had no idea, you know, like kind of, he was kind of stunned. Then he was like, glutes me the whole day. So yeah, it's just, yeah, it just, it, I'm getting, I guess what I deserve, you know? I think that's a good way to put it. You're getting what you deserve. And speaking of having no idea, like I'll be candid, I had no idea who you were until this fight materialized. But as I was preparing, you know, I ran into a lot of people who were like, I'm telling you, you know, Chepe should have been there a long time ago. And when you look at the strength of schedule, now you've won four straight fights. And we'll get into some of the schedule in the past fights against guys like Gregor Gillespie and Bryce Mitchell. But this is the longest winning streak of your career. So something has clicked, and I don't know if you can pinpoint anything that has been the difference, but 
clearly you have found something of late. Why are you in a better place now stringing wins together than maybe, maybe several years ago when you were trying to get to the UFC? So it was, it was definitely a, uh, you know, like a feeling check, you know, like I had to check, get my feelings checked out and really like uh, controlled in the cage. You know, I had all the technique. I've worked so hard. I, I've done all the right things, but I never had coaches or the right advice to really line things up, you know, like diets and everything else that comes along with fighting, you know, like the publicity, the, you know, the, you know, not having so much income, you know, like all those kind of battles, you know, and it was just things that um, I just had, I was not really focused in the game, you know, like I was more uh, kind of in and out with it. Um, and I had like family kind of like, you know, people started making big bucks, going, doing like real estate, doing other things, you know, and they were like, hey, man, you can have a house like this. And I was just like, man, I, you know, it's not my, for me, you know, I like fighting. I'm going to stick to it. You know, I did all these, you know, all these uh, part time jobs because, you know, even if you have a full time job, they don't want to like they don't want you calling off. They don't want you like traveling. So I was like, man, like, I can't find the right, you know, balance. So then I started getting more into it. Um, I watched um, this that Michael Jordan documentary on um, like looking at uh, sports psychologists. So I, I like, started seeing a sports psychologist. I started seeing a therapist. I started talking more to my coaches, uh, even my partner. Uh, yeah, it's just more of like thinking out things and really seeing like my path, you know, of like doing the right things, choosing the right schedule, the right fights, you know. Um, before I didn't have that, I, I was like, man, I'll fight anybody. You know, I right, didn't really right. care. I was like, let's go, Gregor, who? I don't care. Let's uh-huh. go. You know, like, you know, I, I just didn't care. You know, like I and I still don't. You know, I, I never had that uh, fear. I've always had that like competitiveness. Like I'm a study. I, I'm going to do film. I never used to do film. Uh, I stole that film uh, work from John Jones. You know, like I started seeing all these other great athletes, you know, and uh, I just started picking little things and what, what really worked with me, you know, not everything worked with me. And, you know, like I was in a big church guy, but then I always started being a more church guy and uh, listening to the messages and picking, uh, pulling what I can like, fit into like my schedule that week because every week is a new message, a new kind of thing going on. So I was like, man, it's just, yeah, I was just started finding a, a great flow. And now, yeah, I, I feel like I found, I found something. That's fascinating, man. What do you think is feeding that? You know, I'm always fascinated by, you know, uh, the sport and how it tends to change people. Is it the fight game that is changing you or is it your willingness to kind of want to be better in all different aspects of the sport? You know what I mean? Because if you fight long enough, you're like, okay, I got to get better at this, 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 and that. And you start looking outside of yourself. How else can I get better? So what is feeding what? Uh, I feel like it's, uh, I think I like, it was more of uh, just like this competitiveness that was being fed on, you know, like I'm always like, I'm from Chicago, Illinois, you know, everybody competes over everything, you know, who's got the better car, the better shoes, the better anything. So I wanted to be that one person who was like the better fighter, you know, the better, the better guy in the area, you know, uh, the guy who's making the most noise. So I had that going up. Um, but I think what really changes like the sport really changes by like, you have to be very disciplined, you know, you have to be all in, you know, like it, it's crazy. I meet a lot of athletes who, who weren't all in, you know, who had like side jobs doing other things and suddenly they quit their jobs and they're all in and suddenly they're in the UFC doing other things. 
Um, so then I was like, man, like, I think I wasn't all in, you know, like I didn't, t- I didn't have the corner men to talk to. I didn't have like the people around me. Um, it was a very lonely sport. And then I started losing. So I got even lonelier, you know, like, um, you know, like coach, even some of the big top coaches started charging like crazy. Like, like it just, you know, that you have to know, like you have to find your, your footing in the game. And I just felt like I had to be more, you know, disciplined, you know, I've been, I was chasing the dream since I was nine years old, but nobody's telling you what to do along the way, you know, like, uh, like I just found out like about like, uh, savings and all this crazy stuff, you know, like you just start you're I'm like right. 30 years old and I'm like, damn, I got to do all this like paperwork too for the UFC. Like, it's just insane. Like you, you start getting all these reality checks, you know? What, what, what does this fight, you know, you had an, obviously an amazing debut. Like what does this do for you now as you look forward, you know, in, in your UFC career, like not everyone has it, has a fight like that in the UFC. And, you know, how do you kind of keep your head together and, and what does this do for you motivation wise as you look forward? Well, I feel like uh, those losses I have had, you know, um, have really, you know, like woken me up in a lot of ways. Like, uh, like we can't fuck around in this game, you know, like you have to take it serious. You know, your every fight is like, you have to take it like your last, you know, I, I felt that kind of way, even if I, you know, won or lost, you know, I've, I've learned how to like still pick myself up, you know, even the losses, I was like, eh, you know, I'll show them next time. You know, he won't, he won't win next week. That's all I know. You know, like, like I've always like, always just pick myself up, you know? And it was, uh, yeah, I don't know. It was, it was all anime too, like Dragon Ball Z, you know, there's like characters losing and then they'll power up and then come back. And then it was just like, man, like, I want to be like that. You know, I just want to be a known fighter. And like you guys were just saying earlier, like, yeah, man, it's a, it's a pretty like cool time to like jump into the MMA world right now and be in the UFC. You know, we get bonuses. We got a lot more publicity, you know, everything's on ESPN. So like my family back in Mexico know what I'm doing, you know, it's, it's, it's awesome. You know, it's, uh, I'm glad how much the sport has grown. Chepe Matascal with us here on the Anakin Florian podcast. And I do expect there will be a discretionary bonus of some kind coming your way, even though you didn't get the fight of the night. I actually think when we talk about the fights of the year on the Anakin Florian podcast, sometimes beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And some people felt like at times the fight wasn't overly technical, perhaps because of Trevor. Who knows, right? Uh, I think your fight's going to be one that we're talking about come the end of the year. But Hamzat Shimaev always talked about wanting a war in the UFC, and he finally got it against Gilbert Burns. You get essentially a war in your UFC debut. What were your thoughts on that fight with Trevor Peak when you went back home and watched it back? Well, I was pretty, I was pretty surprised because the, you know, all he had a good chin on him. You know, I hit him with a lot of good things, a lot of sharp stuff. Um, but I'm glad I, like I said, my corner kept me very focused. You know, they were like, man, like, like I'm used to guys going out, like after those shots, you know, like I was and and that, that's the thing that you have to be trained as a fighter too. Like, even if your sharp stuff don't work, like you got to just keep just adding on that sharp stuff, you know, like, and I looked at it as like a video game, you know, like you keep attacking those, those hard spots, you know, and then, you know, eventually you'll get something. I didn't get anything, but man, I just, I was more happy of explaining a little taste of who I am, you know, in 10 days notice oh. uh, against an opponent. Like I didn't have any sparring partners who punched like him, you know, like right. it was just, it was wild. Like, that's why I couldn't see some punches. They were like loopy. Some were like, 
if he was stabbing me, you know, it was yes. just like, man, it he was stabs, like, like downward yeah. hammer fists. And I got to say, watching your partner, Claire Guthrie, who's also a fighter and Valor Caballero, your head coach, right. Watching them sort of watch you after the fact, when seemingly the result was in the cam, we knew you were going to win the fight. It was just really cool to watch that moment. Um, but I guess what I most took away was something you touched on earlier in our conversation, just this fearlessness, like you don't give a shit in terms of like the setting or the stage or the opponent. And I don't know if that's because you were fighting guys like Gregor Gillespie and Bryce Mitchell when you didn't have what amounted to an optimal training camp. But why were you so ice water in the veins, calm, cool, collected? I know you've credited your corner with keeping your head in the game, but why were you able to sort of rise to this occasion through a wild fight in a UFC debut uh, when a lot of people kind of crumble in that set? Um, I just, I have that dog in me, man. It's just, I like, it's like that in Chicago, dude. You can't like, you can't just go up to somebody and, you know, like square up with anybody because you don't know who you're fighting, you know? So I felt like I, like, you know, I was, always, I always had that chip on my shoulder where I'm like, man, I'm, I'm going to be the best, but competitively, you know, like not outside the cage. I'm not like an asshole or I don't give a fuck what's going on. You know, like it's more of like, man, in the cage, like, this is my domain, you know, I'm a, I, I've been doing this since I was small. This is the dream. Right, right. You know, I feel so like I, even in the, when I was walking out, everybody was like, man, did you like shot, like going to shock? Like, did you get nervous or anything? I was like, nah, I'm home. This is where yeah. I belong. This is, this is what, you know, this is what I love to do. I hope the UFC loves it too. You know? And I, I, I was just like, man, I'm, I'm all in, you know, all in. Well, there are a lot of people that deserve credit for your success. You yourself, chief among them, first and foremost, but your late mother, who I know wanted you to continue with this initiative, and you're certainly reaping the rewards. Before I let you go, so you have mentioned since the fight that you could conceivably compete in three divisions. Now, you were able to accept this opportunity up at 155 pounds. You have flirted at least verbally, with going down to Bantamweight. But are we to assume that your next contracted fight in the UFC will be featherweight? Is that where you think your wheelhouse ultimately is going to be? Yeah, for sure. Like, I, I de- it would be fun to go, you know, it's because of my height, you know, I'm like 5'7", and I see these 35ers who are like, you know, 5'11", and I'm like, man, maybe uh, if I get some help from like the UFC, the PI, you know, like yeah. some like more science, you know, into it. Uh I did. I was doing a lot of like, um, you know, these diet programs and stuff like that. And I was just not feeling myself so good, um, like being at a lower weight class. Uh, like I walk around and train at 165. So I, I like I like to stay a little big, but I try to get like during like five weeks for featherweight, I'll go down to like 155, 154, you know. So whatever, man, I just like. You know, I'm I'm open to the competitiveness. You know, like why not? You know, there's it. guys that's a two champ. Why not a three champ? You know, like I love it. You know, like start that conversation. That'd be cool if some other people, fight, you know, accomplish that dream. You know, and um, yeah, at 55, like I said, I've fought there before. Um, I obviously took the 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 shot ten days notice. You know, I I feel like that's you know, fighters that want to be in the UFC, they have to be ready like that. You know, 10 days. I've taken a, a 145 uh, championship belt fight in five days notice. Um, and I won that. I was just like, man, okay, this is everything is preparing me for, you know, the big show, the UFC, you know. Um, so I felt like, yeah, 145 is good. Um, yeah, and then if I can, if I go to the PI or whatever, or 
find this nutritionist to like you know test all my stuff and then go like hey man you could touch 35 and yeah then might as well try it you know all right, well, it's not just Bilal Muhammad making waves in Chicago, Illinois, Chepe Matascal. And you may want to connect, actually, with Bilal and use Chef Ian Larios. For my money, he's the best in the business. A lot of good guys out there, the fight dietitian. But uh, Chepe Matascal doing big things. Congrats on a huge week for you and your son and Claire and the family. And uh, we appreciate a few minutes today. I'm sure I'll see you in a few months uh, back in the octagon. Sounds good, man. Thank you, guys. Congrats. Right, there he is. Chepe Machine Gun Matascal with us here on the Anakin Florian Podcast. Crazy, man. Gregor Gillespie, Bryce Mitchell, Sean Soriano, Steve Garcia, Joe Anderson, Brito. Fought all those guys. Now, yes, he lost to all of those guys pre-UFC, but man, is he ready now that he's here, and I do look forward to seeing uh, him down at 145 pounds. I forgot to ask him about the whiffle, but it looks like he's had a haircut since uh, he competed in Jacksonville. All right, that's going to do it for today. Plenty more where that came from later in the week, though. We will have a full UFC 290 preview with predictions coming up on either Wednesday or Thursday on the DraftKings Network. Thank you to Ray Longo and, of course, the man you just heard from, Chepe Matascal. Thanks to every one of you for listening, for watching, for subscribing to the DraftKings YouTube channel. You can also find us on that DraftKings Network. And don't forget, live episode of the Anakin Florian podcast from UFC X this Friday, July 7th, 1 to 2 p.m. Pacific. Our producer is Cody Merrill. With that, for Ken Flom, John Anik, thank you all for listening, for watching. We will see you in a few short days. Until then, yo fucking later. Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly.